Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, August 25th, we are studying Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. Today's text gives us an introduction into another important feature of the book of Proverbs, poetry concerning wisdom. Wisdom cries out to all who will hear. And in this first poem, wisdom gives a strong warning concerning the consequences of those who fail to listen to her counsel. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. It's good to be back. Pastor Preuss, as we get started, we're just still in the very first chapter of Proverbs, not all that far into the book. It's a, a bit different than other literature we've looked at recently here on Sharper Iron. Not a narrative, not an epistle, but wisdom literature. What are some of the features of wisdom literature, the book of Proverbs in general, that will help us as we look at our verses for today? Well, Proverbs is a book entirely of poetry. Uh, we think of it as Solomon's book, but it does seem that there are other uh, there are proverbs from other authors besides uh, Solomon. We also know that uh, a lot of it was assembled uh, far after Solomon's death. Like we have uh, uh, later on in the book, you have the examples of the, the servants of Hezekiah assembling these these psalms or these proverbs. Uh, so they're they're words of wisdom, uh, and then also you. You have a couple. Often we, we look at it. You have a lot of parallels, so it'll it'll uh, it'll have like these quick statements that you can kind of just take out and uh, and use them. You can memorize them and just use them as as phrases. But then you also will have little breakaways where you'll have uh, a long section that belongs together. So, for example, in uh, Proverbs four, you have a longer section that goes through chapter seven of a father speaking to his son. And then what we're looking at today is you have one of these examples of the personification of wisdom. So wisdom is spoken about as if uh, she is a woman. And uh, so you have that from chapters, uh, chapter one, verse 20 through the end of, of this chapter. Uh, it comes out a little bit in chapter uh, three, uh, and uh, and four, where it's referred to as a woman that you should seek out. And then in Proverbs chapter eight, you have her speaking in the first person, and uh, and she's calling people out uh, to come and learn wisdom from her. And then in chapter nine, you have lady wisdom being distinguished from lady folly, from the woman folly. Uh, so... It's it's poetic. Uh, it's one of those things. It's interesting as we we confessional you know conservative Lutherans who believe the Bible is the word of God, and you'll get these people who try to muddy the water, so to say, and they say, well, you know, you don't have to believe everything in the Bible because the Bible is not all supposed to be taken literal. 
and uh, a lot of it's poetry. And it's, it's always, um, I mean, it's a very deceptive way of speaking because what they're trying to do is trying to, to uh, make you believe that the Bible isn't actually true. Uh, but because it's poetry doesn't mean that's not true. Proverbs is just as true as any other part of the Bible. But meaning that it's poetic means that there's going to be figures of speech. So there, there literally, there isn't literally a woman who's crying in the street. Uh, but wisdom does cry out, and wisdom does all these things that we hear wisdom do. Uh, it reminds me of in, um, in seminary, we were taking, I think it was Prin- Principles of Biblical Interpretation, I think was the class. Uh, it was either that or New Testament, one of, one of these uh, Bible classes that we take. And uh, one of the questions in the test was, is, every, is the Bible, is the entire Bible literal? It was some wording like that, like, is the Bible literal? And I had a friend who, although we've been taught, well, not everything in the Bible is supposed to be taken literally. He couldn't help it. He just couldn't say the sentence. So uh, he, he phrased it something like, uh, the, the Bible, the, the language of the Bible is, all, is not all literal, but it's still literally true, or something like that. Right. And it was just kind of a funny thing. So uh, I think we who believe the Bible is the Word of God uh, can kind of exercise that with uh, the being articulate and being precise with our wording. So Proverbs is not supposed to be taken, it's not literal speech, it is figurative language, it is poetry, and yet it is true, it is the wisdom of God, and it provides the words of of eternal life. I, I think that's a, a helpful reminder for the book of Proverbs. And you've already introduced us to some of the things that we're going to see in the text today. So I'm going to read a couple verses and come back to this matter of wisdom being personified and how we understand this, because there are a couple of things that might strike us a bit unusual here. So this is Proverbs 1. I'm just going to read verses 20 and 21 for the time being. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And and the rest of the text is going to say what wisdom speaks. So, Pastor Preuss, as you said, there's not an actual woman who is crying out in this way, but wisdom does cry out to people in every place. One of the questions that is brought, I think, right at the beginning that we should consider is, Wisdom here is personified as a woman. Why a woman? Why is woman female? Why is sorry, wisdom female? Yeah, and that's a really good question. And uh, it uh, it's interesting too because wisdom is also thought to be the second person in the Trinity mm. uh, who is Christ, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, and that is made clear in Proverbs eight, which we can talk about in a little bit. Um, and, and and that causes problems in some people's minds because is the son of God is not the daughter of God. Uh, of course, God does not have um, a sexuality the way human beings do. Uh, so there are a couple things to consider. First of all, first of all, the word wisdom in Hebrew uh, used here, chokmo, uh, uh, is feminine. It's actually a feminine plural, which is interesting. Uh, and then the What's interesting about Hebrew is you don't just simply have, like, first, second, third verbs. So uh, verbs connect to a, to a person uh, in, in, in for the noun. 
So the noun or the, the pronoun has to match the verb in both number and in uh, person. So, for example, first person is I, second person is you, third person is he, she, it. Uh, English, we don't use it as, it, it doesn't make the distinction as, as often, like I ran, you ran, she, he, she, it ran. Uh, so it, it's a little bit more difficult. It's, it's easier when you learn other languages. But we do see it, especially with the, the singular to the plural. So uh, I am uh, and they are, or he is, they are. I guess that's it. So he and they are both third person, but they is plural and he is singular. So you can't say he are, you have to say he is. And you can't say they is, you have to say they are. So the, the verb, the noun, or the pronoun in this case, has to match the verb in both number, uh, first, second, or third person, and, uh, or uh, in person, uh, first, second, or third person, and also number, whether it's singular or plural. Hebrew, you even have an additional one. You also have to match it in gender, meaning male or female. So when you learn Hebrew, if you go to seminary and you learn Hebrew, uh, that's uh, just another thing you have to add on to the chart. Uh, so with Chochmoth, uh, it's not only uh, uh, it's not only that it, it's fem- that it's uh, a third person that you have to have a verb connect with it, but you also have to remember its gender and that it is a you can have a feminine verb, and if it were masculine, you'd have a masculine verb. And also what's interesting with this is it doesn't follow the number, uh, which is sometimes rules just break. So like in, in Greek, uh, if you have a, a neuter plural, uh, you can use a, I hope I'm getting this right, you can use a, uh, a singular verb for that, even, if it's, even though it's a plural neuter noun. And uh, in, in this case, you have a plural feminine noun, and then you're using a feminine singular verb. So that's one explanation. It's just simply grammatical. So wisdom is just simply being used uh, with its proper uh, verb, its proper gender, and it doesn't mean that it's a male or a female. Of course, later on, you get these examples, like Proverbs uh, 3, where it says... um, uh, oh, well, it's just she. Well, that, that's, but where, where, where is it? In Proverbs, or maybe it's Proverbs 7. Yeah, it's in Proverbs 7. I'm sorry. I got Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 7 mixed up. Uh, in Proverbs 7, it says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, mm. and call inside your intimate friend. So it very much connects it to, uh, to being a woman. Uh, and then, of course, as I mentioned before, in, in Proverbs chapter 9, we have the example of her being a woman. Uh, who is keeping a house and compares it with woman folly. Uh, so I, I don't think it's just plain the grammar that's a feminine, but I do think that the reason why it isn't he and it doesn't just break the rules, because I'm sure if Solomon wanted to, he could have just broken the rules and made him a man, uh, is uh, to break it from this idea of it being um, of it being a just a, a man or just God, but it is this kind of this concept of of wisdom uh, that belongs to God, 
uh, that's that's distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another example. Uh, wisdom kind of sounds like it's from, from the way it's spoken. It, it is in contrast to uh, a prostitute. So, woman folly. The way she speaks, she mimics a good woman, but she's not. She mimics wisdom, but she's not. Uh, and then she uh, has language that kind of put, gives her away as being a, a prostitute. So the reason I say that is because uh, she sits at the door of her house, and she takes a seat in the high places of the town. She calls to those who pass by. Well, this is the same stuff that Lady Wisdom is doing and what Wisdom is doing in our text in Proverbs 1. But then at the end, one, her, her wisdom is not true. She says, stolen water is sweet, so she lies. And then it says, but he does not know that the dead are there, meaning they're there with woman folly, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol, which is exactly what he says about the seductress, the, uh, the adulteress, uh, and saying, like, you know, those who follow her don't know that, you know, that, that death is there, and that those who follow her are going down to the pit of death, and they're going to be, you know, have their livers uh, pierced by an arrow, and, and things like that. So there's a comparison between, you know, a woman that you should listen to and should hold fast to for perhaps a good wife uh, or a mother, and a woman that you should stay away from and not listen to, which would be a prostitute. Uh, there's also, I mentioned before, the, the reference to the church. In Proverbs 9, the language there very much sounds like the church. And wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her women to call from the high places in town. Whoever is simple, turn in, let them turn in here. It will lack sense. She says, come eat of my bread and drink of my wine, which I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Well, this very much sounds like the invitation to church. Come, uh, be enlightened. Uh, feast on the, the spiritual food of the Lord. Like Participate in the sacrament. Uh, so it very much sounds like the church. Of course, the church is the bride of Christ. Everything she has, she has received from Christ, her husband and her Lord. Uh, and she's also our mother, as St. Paul said. So a mother provides for her children. So that could be another reason why uh, wisdom is spoken of as a, as a woman. Hmm. Uh, but then again, it, like I said before, it causes a little bit of uncomfortableness for some people uh, because of this idea of trying to nail down wisdom as the Son of God. And I think, I guess what you have to do is just simply you can't do it. You can't nail him down, nail wisdom down as being, oh, this is the Son of God. Uh, but, uh, I mean... I think you can in Proverbs 8 and say, well, yes, this is obviously talking about the Son of God and, and how he creates the universe with the Lord, uh, which is how the Son of God is spoken of in John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. Uh, but I think, I don't think Solomon, I don't think the Holy Spirit wants us to just only think of, of, of wisdom as the, the, the second person in the Trinity, like checking it off, okay, I figured out what this is, now move on, but rather actually listen to to wisdom and see what she has to say mm. and uh, and treat her the ways that she has been presented. Um, and it's, it's not just simply trying to identify who she is, mm. but to actually learn from her. 
So a couple of things there, Pastor Preuss. One, I, I think the the grammatical point, although it is not the only thing, is is certainly worthy of our attention. That in Hebrew, it, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Hebrew does not have neuter, correct? It only has male and female. So yeah, yeah, I think so. So so Hebrew can't say at least it wouldn't translate it like it can't say the word it in Hebrew. You either have to use he or she. Now, it, a lot of times we will translate it as it in English because of the way our language works, but you you literally have to use the word she to talk about wisdom in Hebrew. That's simply the way that it works. And so then put that into the context of the book of Proverbs, which as you said, is poetry. What is poetry going to do with an image like that? It's going to expand upon it. And so we, we get this wisdom as a lady then that Solomon is going to take and use in the variety of ways theologically as you've pointed out for us but I, I think this is this is going to take us back to what you were saying at the beginning where you have the example now of where you, you want to let poetry be poetry and not try to make it do something that it's not supposed to do and hopefully this will carry into more of a conversation on well, what are we to understand about this uh, character within the book of Proverbs, if I can put it that way, that wisdom is and who wisdom is or what what wisdom stands in for, that that we don't want to do some sort of, uh, and I don't, well, I would imagine maybe there is somebody out there who's tried to do this, that will try to say, well, look, wisdom is personified as a woman in the book of Proverbs, and we see wisdom often acting as the son of God and Jesus is the son of God. Therefore we can do some crazy stuff about what we say about Jesus as a man or a woman and some really weird stuff that gets thrown around. I don't know. I don't, I probably don't read the right people to know what exactly is done with this, but I'm guessing it's out there because I know that there's some really crazy, I mean, you think about these, it even happens. And I think in some ELCA churches where, you know, they worship like a goddess or something like that. And they try to use passages like this for justification. So pastor Price, make sure we understand why that's not, a good idea. <laughs> and then take us more into that, what the conversation you started about, who is wisdom? What is the relationship between wisdom and Jesus? How are we to understand wisdom as a, a character? And I use that word not in the sense that character is some someone who's not real, but as a figure within the book of Proverbs. Right. Uh, well, I think you're right that there are, and I've seen it, um, again, I don't delve into it too deeply, uh, but there are those who, you know, this feminist theology of trying to turn the Son of God into the daughter of God and and things like that. And it is important that we recognize that Jesus is the Son. Uh, you'll even notice in you know Galatians chapter three that, you know, uh, we we're sons of God. Why does scripture call us sons of God? I I, uh, I myself find this a little bit awkward when I I use such passages when I am, you know, doing pastoral like a pastoral visit with a woman. And, say, and, and what I've tr- actually tried to do is actually say, you know, you are a, you are a son of God, instead of just saying, instead of just like uh, neutering it and saying child of God. And I will also say child of God, but I'll say you're a son of God, meaning you're an heir of the kingdom of heaven. So, um, you know, gender does matter, and the, the, the sex of the, of the individual matters, obviously. But uh, what does it mean that Jesus is the son? Well, it means that he is to us a, a father, right? You know, so I, I, in Isaiah, the prophet says that Jesus will be called 
everlasting father. Well, because he's the son, there's this masculine role. Uh, it means that he inherits everything from his father. So, you know, from whom and, uh, and to whom and in whom, you know, uh, uh, or from whom and through whom and in whom. That's how St. Paul says it. From refers to the Father. Through refers to the Son. The Son sees everything from the, from the Father. Uh, he is the bridegroom of the, of the Church. He's not the bride of the Church. They're not interchangeable. So he lays down his life for the Church. The Church does not lay down his life for, uh, for Christ. Uh, Christ lays down his life for the church, and he gives the church all things. He uh, sacrifices himself for the church, and the church humbles herself to him. Uh, she subordinates herself to him. He does not subordinate himself to her. Rather, he sacrifices himself. Uh, this is language that we, we've really just, we've trashed it. We've thrown it out. Uh, people will even use phrases like, you know, well, a husband and wife, hum, they uh, submit to one another, even though grammatically that makes no sense. So this is what we do because we're afraid of making any distinctions between male and female and uh, men and women and such. But it is important that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not the daughter of God. Uh, and uh, he, is the, he is the bridegroom to the church's bride. He's not the bride of the church. Uh, and uh, and all of those things. He is called an everlasting father. He's not called uh, the everlasting mother. And when we change these terms and try to turn Jesus into some sort of a woman uh, or the son of God into a daughter of God, uh, it's not just changing you know minor things. This is actually something that changes who God is. It changes the story of salvation. Uh, and it creates chaos. Uh, and I think that, uh, especially as we're seeing this in the world, where boys can decide to be girls and girls can decide to be boys, uh, this is something where I think the church has failed. Uh, we've neutered our language and, uh, for the past couple of generations, thinking, well, it's okay. Even we in the Missouri say, well, at least we say that women are pastors, but that's all we'll say. Well, what does that do? Well, it creates confusion, and it creates malcontent. Uh, people aren't content. Eventually, people are going to say, yeah, but why can't women be pastors? It just turns into this arbitrary rule. But if for the past 60 years uh, we were teaching, well, the reason why is because of the order of creation and because of the order of salvation, and this is a wonderful, beautiful thing that shows us the glory of God, and shows us that God loves us, and the love of God in all aspects of our life, in marriage, in the church, in the family, even in, uh, in the government, uh, then we can, we see God in all these places. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's an important thing. So um, I, I talk, gave a longer answer than I was uh, expecting to, but uh, I think that's why it's important that we don't just simply say, oh, well, uh, Proverbs uh, 1 and 8 and 9 uh, portray Christ as a woman, therefore, you know, he is a woman, or, or that he is not just only a son or something like that. Mm. For sure. So, Pastor Poisson, in, in terms of 
who wisdom is, you started to talk about that and it said, maybe we shouldn't identify wisdom as the son of God each and every time we see wisdom show up. But but how do we understand wisdom as a character within the book of Proverbs? Right. And I think this goes back to the union of the Trinity. So hmm. the Trinity is not only that we... we we focus a lot on the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how these, these are distinct persons. And yet, they're, they're, they are a union unlike any union. I mean, you think of your mind as being united. And so the, the idea of a husband and a wife becoming one flesh, and that's a really difficult thing, because obviously they have two very different brains and two very different wills. And you think of your mind as like you yourself are actually, that's one. Uh, no, you're not even one in comparison to the Trinity. The Trinity is more united than you yourself are, not even including you and your wife, just you. It's a greater oneness than anyone could possibly comprehend. And yet, it is still three distinct persons. Uh, So here I think we should focus on the union of the Trinity, in that God is wisdom. So yes, we talk about wisdom as being the second person of the Trinity, especially when we look at uh, chapter... Uh, eight, where it says things like, uh, ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth and when there was no death, etc. And then he gets into the saying, uh, verse 29 in chapter 8, he says, uh, or chapter 8, 28, he, he says, uh, uh, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the limit, uh, the seat's limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked up the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman. So there you have that, you know, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and uh, the Word was God. All through, uh, uh, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, without him was not one thing made that was made, right? Uh, so you, you do get that second person in the Trinity. What we also have to recognize, though, is that the whole Trinity created the universe. It wasn't just the Father, even though that's what we, 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 say, we attribute it to the Father in the Apostles' Creed. And it wasn't just through the Son, but it was through the Son and in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity created the world. And also, the Holy Trinity is wisdom. It's not just the second person. They share this wisdom. They're united in this wisdom. Uh, so wisdom is an attribute of God. And when we say it's an attribute of God or a characteristic of God, we're not saying that, well, God is wise. Right? So, like, well, he's a wise person. He possesses a lot of wisdom, as if wisdom is this uh, arbitrary attribute that anyone can have and share in, and God just happens to be the most wise. No, God is wisdom. He's wisdom itself. And there is no wisdom apart from God. And whatever wisdom exists comes from God. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share in this same wisdom. It is an attribute of God, meaning that it cannot be removed from God. It can't be distinguished from God. Uh, so I think that's another reason why it's good to treat it, uh, you know, outside of a distinct person, because the Father, Son, Holy Spirit all possess this wisdom. And when wisdom speaks, obviously it's the Son speaking. But it's the Father speaking. It's the Holy Spirit speaking. God is wisdom. There is no wisdom apart from, apart from God. 
You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO. Going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, August 25th, and we are studying Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. We've got Pastor James Preuss with us. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we looked at wisdom, the personification here that we get of wisdom as a, a woman. And now the main point is that wisdom is going to cry out. Wisdom is going to speak. And wisdom speaks to anyone and everyone. She cries aloud in the street. She's raising her voice in the market, in the noisy streets at the city gates. There's no pandemic happening here. Everyone is gathered together in these places, and wisdom is crying out to all these people. And this is what she says. We're picking it up in Proverbs 1, verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. That is Proverbs 1. That was verses 22 through 33, the rest of our text for today, this message that Lady Wisdom cries out to all who will hear. So, Pastor Preuss, the message, the invitation starts, how long, and, and it's addressed to the simple ones, to the scoffers, to the fools, and the call of Lady Wisdom is to turn, who is it that Lady Wisdom is addressing, and what is she calling upon them to do? Well, she, she's calling out to those who do not believe, and she's calling them to repent uh, of their unbelief, repent of their following, following uh, after foolishness, which would be anything that leads away from, uh, from the truth, and to believe in Christ. Uh, really, it is it's to believe in the Gospel. And uh, this teaching, I think it's the, the gospel in general, uh, not the gospel in particular, meaning not just simply 
not just simply believing that, you know, Jesus is your Savior, and he, he died for your sins, and that you'll go to heaven if you believe in him, but believing all of his teaching, believing the whole good news, and having Jesus as your teacher. Uh, so it includes justification, being declared righteous before God, which, is, which gives you your salvation, and also sanctification, the walking with Jesus and, become, and being set apart from the world more and more every day uh, as you seek to be united to Christ outwardly uh, as, you, as, as well as inwardly. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, it's, it's what we have revealed in the New Testament. Uh, what, what is wisdom preaching? Uh, repent and believe in the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And one parallel that I find very striking is from John chapter 7, where Jesus, it says, uh, beginning at verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Uh, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him would receive, for as yet the Spirit had had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Uh, and, uh, and you hear that too, with uh, verse 23. If you turn up my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Uh, so this again, I mean, uh, like we just talked about how we have to be careful about trying to identify wisdom as a particular person. But wisdom very much is Jesus. Uh, Jesus is, is wisdom. He is the one who cries out in the street and offers the Holy Spirit to whomever will listen. Uh, and uh, to reject Jesus is to reject wisdom. What's the, uh, just the, the three different figures that are mentioned there, the simple ones, the scoffers, the fools, that, I think summing them up as those who do not believe, this is a call to repentance and faith is is good. But what's the I mean, what's the force? Particularly, I think scoffers makes sense, and fools we've talked about previously. That that fools are those who say in their heart there is no God. To quote the Psalms, what about the the matter of being simple? What's the force of that one particularly? I, I think it would be uh, being content with being ignorant. Hmm. Uh, being happy to not know God, I think that is how I would how I would look at it. Um, I think in this sense, it's 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 a it's bad. Being simple is not good. I mean, I know some people they like to have a very simple faith, have a very simple faith, and they just kind of thought of as a virtue. Uh, in a sense, I mean, it, it can. I have to be careful here. I don't know if it is it ever good to be simple. It's good to be meek and lowly. It's good to be humble. Uh, it's good to acknowledge that you're not saved by your own wisdom. It's good to know that even a little child who trusts in Jesus, who maybe can't even uh, say the, the Apostles' Creed by herself, uh, is still a child of God and is saved. But I don't think we should ever say that we have a simple faith. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's an example in Scripture, I can't think of it right now, where 
space would be referred to as simple. But I think being simple is bad. Hmm. Uh, being simple is not wanting to learn. And I think to not want to learn from God is one of the most horrible things that you can do. And the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and n- knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Uh, I think that is what we should keep in mind. So, yeah, I mean, obviously I think they all can be put into the same boat, simple scoffers and fools, uh, because they all are without faith. Um, I think scoffers, is that's more offensive. Hmm. It's more an active uh, hating. Uh, fools, uh, I mean, we, we get through fools throughout this whole thing. It's the opposite of wisdom. Uh, fools, you know, hate learning and and love their own uh, their own nonsense. Uh, but I think simple. I mean, they're very mu- much cut from the same cloth. So perhaps you could say it's not as extreme. But I do think that we Christians should not want to be simple. Mm. Um, you shouldn't not go to church because you think, well, I believe in Jesus, and I have a simple faith. You shouldn't say, oh, I'm not going to go to Bible study. Uh, that's for the people who are more uh, intent on, you know, advancing in, in more, you know, uh, esoteric stuff, or, or however you want to put it. And so I just have a simple faith. I don't need to go to Bible study. No, I think that every Christian should go to church every Sunday. Every Christian should read the Bible, even if you don't, if you don't think you understand it or you don't understand it. Uh, I think every Christian should go to Bible study whenever it's offered and ask questions to the pastor, and we should be constantly trying to consume as much of God's Word as we can and uh, flee from being simple. Uh, Even if we think that we didn't learn anything, if we think, oh, it went all over my head. Well, I don't know. I think most of the things I say to my kids go over their head, yet I don't think I should just not talk to them until they get older and uh, are able to articulate. I mean, how ridiculous would that be? I have an eight-month-old. Should I just not talk to him until he's 12, and I think that he can understand what I'm saying? Of course I'm going to talk to him. I talk to all my children. Hmm. And uh, I think that's what we should be humble, acknowledge that, yeah, okay, if I'm simple, it's because of my old Adam, because I'm a sinner. Uh, But I should learn from my Heavenly Father. I should learn from wisdom as much as possible. Now, I think that's a very helpful way of understanding simple, the idea of being content to remain in ignorance, content to ignore God's word is is what's going on here in Proverbs chapter one. And I think you're right that it, the way that simple is used here is negative in connotation. The only, and this simply could be just a difference in the way that the English word simple is used. The only positive way that I could think that maybe someone would think of simple would go something like this. My, my faith is simple because whatever the Lord says, that's what I believe. And, and, and maybe that might be a, a, a more positive way. But even, even then, when the Lord says, and we believe what he says, and that's that, still that faith seeks after understanding and to dig deeper into what the Lord says and to understand it more, not remaining content with just... I don't want to say with just believing that and that's it because that I don't I don't mean to to say it that way but but we want to continue to dig deeper into the treasures that the Lord has for us in his word there's always more to see always more to learn and it keeps bringing us back to that same central truth but but never to 
be complacent about it, never to take it for granted. And so, yeah, I, does that does that help, Pastor Preuss? I don't want to go too far down this, but does that help? I think so. I think so. I mean, I I think we can use the word in a good way. I mean, I, one thing I'm thinking of is Occam's razor. You know, that which is the simplest explanation is the best. I think it's the paraphrase of it. Um, mm. Or that God is like the, the simplest simplicity or something like that. Like he is, I think it connects maybe with his unity. I don't know. I mean, then you kind of get into to philosophy as well. But uh, yeah, I, I, God says it. That settles it. I think that's the way we should think. It's that simple. But uh, to think that we don't have any, that God doesn't have anything to, to teach us mm, is right. hubris. It's arrogant. It's evil. And we should flee from that thought. Whether you are, you know, the most down to earth, whatever, you know, don't read any, read, have read one book in your entire life, uh, and that's, that's you, you still have something to learn from God. Uh, and whether you have three PhDs and uh, you've memorized the Psalms in the original Hebrew, you still have something to learn from God. Mm. And we need to, to seek this at all times. Because if you're not growing in faith, if you're not growing in the knowledge of the Lord, uh, one, it means that you don't fear the Lord. And two, it means that you're, you're leaving an opening for Satan. Uh, so simplicity is, it's like being caught in a snare and, not, and, and being apathetic about it. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good way. The simple would be the, the apathetic, the ones who just don't care, whereas the scoffers, as you said, are more actively hating the Lord's word. And and here, Lady Wisdom cries to both and says, both of you need to turn to repent and and believe, believe that the fullness of what God has given. So that's the that's the call that's there in verses 22 through 23. It's really quite short. The rest of the text it turns and it gets a little little scary. It starts to talk about, it's, it's a warning of what will happen if you don't listen, if you don't heed this call of wisdom to turn from your simpleness, from your scoffing, from your foolishness, and you, you absolutely refuse, the picture gets a bit frightening. It talks about wisdom says that, that she will laugh at your calamity. She will mock. And this is a, a bit striking, perhaps a, a picture of the work of God that we shy away from in our context. What are we to, to make of this way wisdom speaks concerning the consequences of not listening? Well, I think we should fear. We should, we should approach God with fear and trembling and not mock. Uh, and uh, I think we should also rebuke those who do mock and scoff. Uh, I think this is something that uh, we who have children should make sure that they know that they should fear the Lord, uh, trust in Him, but fear Him as their, as their father. Uh, you look at the examples of like Eli and his sons. His sons didn't fear the Lord. They mocked, they committed heinous crimes uh, in, the, in, the, in the tabernacle, in the holy place. And, uh, and he didn't take it as seriously as he should have. Uh, and you look at what happened to Israel. I mean, they rejected God ruling over them, and then what does God say? When he gives them a king, but then he says, hey, listen, when calamity strikes and you're going to cry out, I'm not going to listen to you, because you didn't listen to me, you didn't listen to my prophets. You look at Saul. I mean, that's one thing that made me, I mean, it, it uh, causes, I guess, a lot of turmoil with me, because, you know, we always say, you know, repent and God will cure you. And then you look at Samuel, and he repents, kind of, but God doesn't listen to him. 
God says, no, no, I reject you. And uh, he tries to get the Lord to listen to him, but he doesn't listen to him. He won't answer him, uh, you know, neither by prophet or by the human or human. Uh, God doesn't listen to him. And so he has to resort to going to a witch and seeing if she can conjure up a spirit of, of Samuel, to the spirit of Samuel to speak to him. So uh, I think that we should be very uh, aware of this. Uh, it reminds me of that, uh, obviously it's from Scripture, from that Johnny Cash song where he sings about he who is, um, he doesn't really sing it, he just kind of like talks to it in, ry- uh, in rhythm. He kind of did that when he got older and he couldn't really sing as well. He would just talk and he's Johnny Cash, so people would buy his records. But uh, yeah, he who is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still. And that's what uh, it says in Revelation. And there is a time, you know, uh, repent while there is time. But there's going to be a time where there, there is no more. It's too late. You can't, on Judgment Day, say, okay, I believe in you, God. I'm sorry. Can I learn from you now? No, it's too late. There's a certain time. Uh, it also reminds me of uh, Matthew chapter 25, where you have the parable of the ten, wise, uh, the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. And you know the story where the five wise have oil for their lamps and the five foolish don't have oil. And so the five foolish have to go out and buy oil when the uh, when the bridegroom comes at midnight, and then when they start knocking on the door, he says, I do not know you. Uh, I mean, we kind of think of it because we're, we're kind of placed outside the door with the five foolish virgins. We're sad for them. And we should be. We should be, uh, we should be uh, fearful. Uh, but are the five virgins, the wise ones who are inside, are they sad? And is Christ sad? Is the bridegroom sad? And you kind of see that these five foolish uh, virgins who are knocking on the door, crying out, they're not dampering the party inside. They're not bringing sadness inside the doors of the, the wedding banquet. And I think that's something that we should remember. We're not, like, on Judgment Day, we Christians who are rejoicing with our Savior, we're not going to be saddened by those outside. It saddens us now, but there's not going to be any joy and sadness. I mean, every tear will be wiped away. How could we be sad? We're going to be joined to Christ. And I think that's kind of a, the, the, the message here. Um, yes, I mean, for the, uh, 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 you know, Jesus mourns over Jerusalem. He says, you know, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you would not. So he does mourn those who are going, who reject him. At the same time, he is just. And uh, he is not going to turn back his judgment, because he is a just God. And those who reject Christ will be rejected. And it won't be the fault of God. And it's also not going to ruin the joy that we have as Christians, as saints in heaven. And it's not going to take away God's joy. So uh, Psalm 2, it says, uh, you know, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Uh, He holds them in derision. He mocks those who try to overturn Christ and try to uh, unthrone his son. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's, we have to recognize that there are enemies of God. And you can become an enemy of God when you mock and scoff and resist the gospel. Uh, and there will come a time where, if you persist in this rejecting, that you are now an enemy of God forever. And you're not going to ruin his joy, and you're not going to ruin the joy of those who did listen and come into the dwelling of wisdom.
Mm. Uh, you're only hurting yourself. So, uh, I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I told you so. Don't drink and drive. You drink and drive and you get in a terrible accident. Like, well, I mean, obviously people are going to show you sympathy at that time. But there also is that message, even if someone doesn't say it. Well, I told you so. You know, um, don't follow after your lust. Uh, you cheat on your wife. Well, now your life is ruined. Hmm. You're, you're getting divorced. Look what happened. Well, I told you so. You know, you commit murder. You do drugs. You do whatever things that you're told not to do. And then you destroy yourself. Hmm. What's well, the same thing with the gospel? If you don't repent and believe in the gospel, you're going to destroy yourself. It's not going to be God's fault. You can't blame him. You can't blame his Christians. You can only blame yourself. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's like a it, it's like an I told you so ahead of time, so that you don't have to hear the I told you so when it is too late. I think the the connection to Matthew twenty five that there is a moment coming. There is a day coming when it will be too late. That word will not be there for you to hear and believe like it is now. And I think that's, I mean, for for me, verses 20 and 21 become very important. The universality of this call, the way wisdom is crying everywhere for anyone and everyone to hear this call to repentance and faith, lest this I told you so happen to someone because God does not desire the damnation of anyone. People do bring that upon themselves by their own fault, but God does not desire it. That's why he calls out to everyone in the first place. And he he gives this very strong warning of just of just what that will look like on that day so that ahead of time we will repent, so that we will believe and and not head down this I mean, we've got two paths in Proverbs, right? The way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. And the Lord is calling, come the way of wisdom. Don't follow the path of folly because look where it leads. And and on that day, there will be the I told you so that will not ruin his joy. But he's not desiring that right now. He's calling out to everyone to to hear and believe so that, I mean, verse verse 33 takes us back to, you know, more, more of the comfortable. We need to hear that warning, but the, you know, the good news in verse 33, that those who listen to wisdom will dwell secure. They will be at ease. There will be no dread of disaster. Those tears being wiped away, as you said, Pastor Preuss. Pastor Preuss, we've yeah. got, go ahead, go ahead. We've got about five and a half minutes. Well, five and a half minutes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I always like to let the, the gospel project predominate. And it's kind of a funny thing, because um, uh, I've heard just really funny stories where there's someone who, who said that a pastor said, well, the way I always make the, the, the gospel predominate is I count how many words are in my sermon, and I count how many are law and how many are gospel, and make sure they have more gospel words. And that's not the way it is. I mean, you can, I mean, our, our talk probably is predominantly has been law, and I think a lot of it is law. But the gospel predominates in the sense that, uh, that it is the, the most important message, and it is proclaimed for all people, uh, and that it is, it is not ignored. And I think this is a gospel message, especially what you just read. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure. Whoever. I mean, this is universal. The gospel is for all people. And we'll be at ease without dread of disaster. Uh, it's, people get so mad at God, and they judge God, and they try, to, they try to take him down from his throne and place themselves on it by saying, well, why don't you just save everyone? Why do you have to make it through faith? Why don't you just choose everyone? Why don't you just give us all faith? And I've heard all of these things, and we can't be judging God and trying to condemn Him, but rather just look, look what He did. He sent His Son to die, to take away our sins. 
uh, he became man, and he will be man for all eternity. And he calls to everyone, to Jew and Gentile. He sends the gospel everywhere. I mean, they've heard it. We've all heard it. And you can't blame other people, but for those who have heard the gospel and believe it, this is such a wonderful thing. Uh, in, in the Septuagint, the Greek, for Proverbs 33, it says that they will dwell in hope. Uh, this wonderful hope that the gospel gives. Um, and we sometimes use the word hope as, like, well, I hope, but I really have no idea. It's, it's really turned into a weak word. But in Scripture, this hope, it's a wonderful thing, because you're hoping in something that God has promised. Uh, and um, so to hear Lady Wisdom speak uh, should be the most wonderful thing. And to believe her and to, to you know, hinge our hope on what she says and say, well, this is what I'm going to hold to. I mean, this is on Christ the solid rock I stand, all the ground is sinking sand. You know, my, uh, uh, you know, my, I know my faith is founded on Jesus Christ, my God and Lord. I mean, whatever hymn you want placed there, this is the most comforting thing that you could uh, imagine, uh, that, uh, that God is speaking to us, and he's saying, whoever uh, here, come, and I will give you eternal life. And none of these disasters that I have threatened will come upon you. And I think that's something that we should uh, think about. Because you can't just be scared into faith. Um, I, mean, I think it's an important aspect to know, to, to be scared of, of, of judgment when you are rejecting it. But uh, we come because of the wonderful promises that wisdom uh, offers. Mm. Pastor James Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, thank you. We come because of the wonderful promises that wisdom offers. Look at that promise there at the end of the text. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. That is the promise that our Lord Jesus Christ extends as well to all, to all. He calls to all that we would repent and believe in him. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.